For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And fall camp is underway. Fall camp's finally here, and for this week's edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast, we're both going to pose three questions that we have, that we want answered in training camp, heading into week one against Bucknell. So three questions each. We don't know what each other's questions are. Um, and then we'll dive into some Twitter questions that you all submitted kind of uh, when fall camp was report day. This was, I think that was three days ago now when we're recording. So a jam-packed episode. And uh, I'm, I don't want to speak for Bennett here, but I am super pumped that football's back. I think you said this maybe a week ago. I've never been more excited for a football season. Um, I think ever, I don't think I've ever been this excited for a September I can't wait. The schedule is awesome. The year should be good. And the constant uh, realignment churn and conversations almost has me more excited. I'm just so tired of it. It's so stupid. Like I get. It just feels like it completely eliminates like the bottom half of the FBS. Like it it takes the group of five and just says like you're essentially irrelevant. Yeah. Like what's Florida State going to do? There's 15 programs that everyone cares about, which I think is such a like simplistic, sad way to look at the sport. And and maybe maybe we shouldn't just jump right into conference realignment talk here at the jump of this podcast <laughs> as we're talking about JMU, a group of five school training camp getting started and the questions and excitement we have around the te- the season. But like it also feels like it kind of takes away from the student athlete experience because oh, yeah. like USC has to now fly to Iowa. They have to fly to Ann Arbor. Like, They've got Rutgers, right? Rutgers is in the Big Ten. Rutgers, like, (laughs) like more so, like, just from a not necessarily like the money aspect of it, but like the student athlete perspective, it's a lot easier to fly from USC to Eugene, Oregon, to play a football game than it is to fly to Iowa City. And some of it, some of its last point for me at least is frustrating. Where it's like I'm supposed to believe that the Big Ten, outside of like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, maybe Iowa. I'm supposed to believe that this league, just because it has a lot of money, is like an elite level league, like Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue. Like, I think Jamie could hang with like every team outside of the top four in the Big Ten. I'd probably hang with Wisconsin. (laughs) I'd argue that like the Pac 12 has done more, like in like the college football playoff time. I feel like they've gotten like a more rounded group of teams into the college football playoff and like have teams more consistently knocking on the door. It seems like they're more, they were a more well-rounded conference than the big 10 and big 12. I, okay. So it's, it's, it's wacky. These conversations will persist throughout the rest of training camp, the rest of the football season, I suspect, and into basketball and into baseball and into the off season and into next year. When we're talking around this time next year, we'll always have conference realignment talk to rely on, but you know what? 
conversations we don't always have to rely on? That's a good question. New sponsors and old. Very exciting time to be us. <laughs> <laughs> we have, um, what do we have? We have two sponsors currently secured for the upcoming football season, leading off with our good friends at Three Notch, which are actually going beyond football season, right? We've got them through through March, I think it was. Yeah, we are pumped about this Three Notch spot, Three Notched sponsorship. Say that three times fast for this upcoming football and basketball season. We have a lot of um, fun, cool, interesting things coming down the pipeline for the rest of this football season, even in potentially the basketball season. So be on the lookout for that. If you're ever in Harrisonburg, check out the Three Notched Valley Collab House. But they also have locations in Charlottesville, some fantastic food at their Charlottesville location, as well as Roanoke, Virginia Beach, and Richmond. Um, And you can sign up for their Fresh Beer Club. You can check out more of that information. The link is in the description of the podcast. Or you can just go to Three Notched website and check out the Fresh Beer Club. Um, a lot of great stuff, and we're really excited for what is coming uh, the rest of this season with Three Notched. Super pumped that they're back on board with us for this 2023 JMU football season. That's a big one. We were excited about that one, so excited to have them on board again, which helps us with a number of things, and including potentially bringing someone on, which we may have an update on in the next two or three weeks, possibly. Yeah, very excited about Uh, kind of the growth we have projected out for this 2023 JMU football season. A lot of great content coming um, that I I think otherwise we wouldn't necessarily be able to do without the help of uh, everyone who's been listening throughout and not to like get on a soapbox and get all sappy here as we head into JMU football season. But uh, shout out to everyone who's kind of contributed. This is year five for us. We are starting the fifth year of JMU Sports News podcast. Um, and so we're just pumped that we've had people tune in nearly on a weekly basis for the last five years and listen to us ramble at times and the listeners, the followers, whatever, whatever it may be, big reason why we're able to bring this content to you guys and we continue to grow and get three notched on board and get a brand new sponsor on board for this season. Bennett, do you want to, do you want to let us know who our, our new sponsor is? Yeah, this is an exciting one. And I know a lot of people here are probably expecting, expecting, uh, some some bet online talk, but that's not where we're going. We have stayed in Harrisonburg for Christopher William Jewelers. Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and Weir's Cave. Heck yeah. Very excited about having Christopher William Jewelers on board for the football season as well. Yeah, and hopefully um, maybe we can buy ourselves some big old rings to go along with the Sunbelt East rings that JMU will likely win at the end of this season. Um, and then what everyone else was expecting, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. That is right, folks. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head 
to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and get in on the action. When you use promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you throw $200 down on your first deposit, they'll hook you up with $100 for free as a thank you for signing up with promo code BELIEVE. Bet online where the game starts. We're a rocket ship, man. Look at all these. Look at all this growth. Stops. And where this podcast is starting, as Bennett is pretending to be a rocket ship, we got some questions that we want answers to about the, over the course of this next month. Do you want to take us away with your first question for the uh, JMU football training camp? Yes. Setting some ground rules. Are we avoiding altogether the obvious who's the starting quarterback, or shall that be one of our six questions? Well, that will be one of our Twitter questions. So we okay. have a few Twitter questions that we kind of stayed away from. What will this year's thing to complain about be now That's that there are over 10 beer stands? And uh, I get, we are complainers. so We're huge complainers. You do have to answer this because now that they have squashed <laughs> out one of our major complaints, uh, we will have to find something else to complain about. Um, Tyler Reskovac asks, what's the biggest strength we have going into 2023? And then I kind of countered that with, what's the biggest weakness, too? Mm. Um, what would be your pick for a new team walk-in song, assuming that's part of the game day overhaul? Also, are you okay with them never playing Start Wearing Purple again? I love this question. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then Barnett or McLeod. So we're staying away from those. And we're kind of hitting our overall three questions that aren't those Twitter questions. Good ground rules. We will get to those, folks. So I think my first question, and I'll stick with one here that that I guess can be answered more so in camp and is sort of the nitty gritty details. I've got some that are a little more broad later. I'm interested to learn more about special teams. And I don't know how much exactly we'll learn during camp, but they've talked a lot about improved overall depth. So I think there's probably going to be guys on the roster who are good players, but maybe not good enough quite yet to break into like the two deep, on offense or defense who get special teams reps, hopefully some really good athletes there that could be beneficial. They brought in Ryan Hansen, the punter from Arkansas state, who's expected to be one of the best in the league. But then like they were inconsistent last year with Camden wise on field goals. What does he look like? What do the kickers look like? And then special teams, they had a few just like blown assignments. Uh, I think they gave up a blocked punt for a touchdown against Georgia Southern, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think there was some stat on Twitter that I saw as well that like the last two seasons teams that have like scored on a blocked punt have won like 75% of those games. So you can't be giving up those kind of miscues. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to learn more about special teams because it doesn't get a lot of discussion, but it's an area that JMU was, I would say surprisingly bad last year. I'd say they'd been kind of mediocre, if not bad for the last few years. I mean, you could argue yeah. the collapse against Sam Houston state started because of special team errors really the last time that i can remember the, them having a dynamic return game too was when they had d'angelo amos back there returning punts and returning kicks and he returned a few back for touchdowns that season yeah since then it just seems like they've been content with kind of just playing the field position game and not necessarily risking it with return so that's a great point because special teams has been an underwhelming part of this team over the last let's say two maybe three years 
and you were you were in the beer line, I think, for a lot of this. But the Georgia State yeah, game, I was. I missed all of this because I was <laughs> the at the Georgia, beer line, which we did complain about a lot like, last season. They like couldn't field kickoffs and punts for like a like a, just a ten minute stretch of game time. They were really struggling there. So like little things like that, where they were just giving opponents either touchdowns or crazy short fields, was surprising for a team that like in every other aspect is appears to be very well coached and. <laughs> And I'm not saying they're not well coached in special teams, but they appear to just be so solid everywhere else that if they can get special teams sort of under control and maybe making some of those more dynamic plays, we'll see if they go with uh, uh, Surratt again at, at punt return. I kind of liked him there and thought he did some nice things um, in his limited opportunities. That'd be cool. Like, let's get some return touchdowns, maybe start blocking some punts, stop giving up those uh, those big plays take advantage of field goals like inside of 35 yards, which is sort of what rack he was so good at just making those like you should make this kind of field goal. If they can do that, I think it gives them a lot of room for error on offense and defense. Yeah. And I also think we kind of have overlooked the special team woes over the last few years because they've had fun guys at punter with Harry O'Kelly. And then they had like yeah. arguably the best kicker in college football in recent memory in Ethan Racky. But then like there's so many facets to the special teams game that 50% of it was so good that the other 50% was kind of overlooked, which was arguably bad. Uh, but I, I love that question. My first question is which wide receiver will separate and be the go-to wide receiver one this upcoming season? You have 18 wide receivers currently on the roster, eight tight ends as well. You have a few uh, few transfers in, in Dolison, Sproles, and Taji Hudson, mm-hmm. and Elijah Surratt. Then you got Reggie Brown kind of in there. I, I expect those are the guys that maybe kind of trying to get more of those quote unquote first team reps, those wide receiver one reps. Um, but I'd love to know who you think will kind of separate and be that wide receiver one for this upcoming season. They lost Chris Thornton, who put up magnificent numbers and was one of the most reliable pass catchers. They lost Antoine Wells, of course. Um, so who's going to become that WR one? This is a great question, and we had a, a late submission from Alex092975 that was similar. It was asking about who will the starting receivers be. Another good question. That's that's one of the bigger camp questions, right, I think, in terms of, of who wins that. I feel pretty confident that Reggie Brown's going to be sort of their wide receiver one, just from what they've said throughout the spring. He seems like he's been healthy. When he was healthy last year, he was a really solid player. So I like Reggie Brown as wide receiver one after that, I think it gets pretty interesting. I'd be shocked if Sproles doesn't have a solid role with the receivers. I think Phoenix Sproles, North Dakota state transfer is going to get a decent amount of reps. Dollison is one that his speed they've sort of hyped up a lot. I think Signetti says he got to 22.7 miles per hour. Holy. Um, He said that at media day, just sort of slipped it in, which is, you can't teach that kind of speed. Like that's, all right, high end. Look at that cliche speed. coming out already. First, <laughs> that's first official Jamie football podcast. Cliche number one, folks. We have it. Don't look any further. Cliche number one. There are things that you can can actually teach, like coach up certain things. Jamison Williams for the Lions apparently doesn't like put his hands together when he's catching football. So that'll be an interesting. Also thing to loves betting sports. Yeah, but he's going to have a big year. But anyway, there are things that like you can sort of help guys with in terms of route running and maybe some stuff with catching. But when you have somebody who can run that fast, I think it gives him a good chance to to throw himself in there. After that, it kind of seems like it's wide open. I think Hudson and Lewis, the two ECU transfers with Troy Lewis coming in last year and then 
Taji Hudson coming in this offseason. Both have a lot of size. Uh, Elijah Surratt is one. Josh's brother, who I think has a ton of potential, had a great freshman year at the FCS level before transferring to JMU. Uh, but he missed a lot of the spring with like a soft tissue injury. So I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot of opportunities for multiple guys. My guess, though, would be the trio of Brown, Sproles, and Dollison are like three that I would I'd be surprised if they aren't in the mix, just given their experience and skill set. Yeah, I also think, granted, they didn't play a lot together, but there is some sort of chemistry already created between Jordan McLeod and Dollison. Yeah. Both of them South Florida kids. Both of them played at South Florida. Um, so I think there's a little bit of familiarity there. They know how each other play. They know what to expect out of each other. So I think that's going to be key if McLeod wins. When McLeod wins the QB1 position, uh, giving a little hint, a little foreshadowing to later in the podcast, I think Dolson may be an early target for him. That's just kind of familiarity. I think Sproles will be the wide receiver one. I think he had the best mm. spring game. There seemed to be already a connection brewing between Sproles and McLeod as well. Sproles can go up there and get it. Uh, so I think he may be poised to be kind of that wide receiver one. Or maybe maybe I should rephrase that because kind of the way it seems like Signetti likes to have his wide receivers is kind of have the big play guy and then the possession guy. That's uh, first, it, Thornton yes. just happened to be really good at doing both. But like when it was Thornton and Wells, Wells was the big play. Thornton could just run the slant and get you seven yards. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Sproles is the kind of go down there and get it. And Reggie Brown is Mr. Reliable. When you need five yards, boom, you go to Reggie Brown. Also, I think you'll see Taylor Thompson, the Charlotte transfer at yeah. tight end, slot out a lot more and play as a tight end wide receiver hybrid. Um, and you'll see him in a lot of passing packages. That's my expectation for Taylor Thompson because kid is not a traditional Signetti tight end. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. They've got a ton of guys, maybe more so than they've had ever or at least during our time sort of covering the team who are like six three and above with like ability right at, at one point is pretty much just well, like last year we loved and, maxwell james because he was the only guy above like six two yeah he had he had some ability they've got um maxwell moss max moss who signetti mentioned as like forget exactly what interview it was i was listening to too many Sunbelt Media Day interviews with, <laughs> with him. But at one point, he, he shouted him out as like the one true freshman he thinks has some potential to to maybe play. Um, I'm sure there are some others that can work their way through camp. But talented player there. They've got a lot of size, which I feel like in the past, it was Riley Stapleton and tight ends. So definitely a little bit of a change. Yeah. Uh, second question for you. Second question here. So I can go a number of ways. I can go super broad or I could go with another nitty gritty detail, which would we prefer? Let's go, let's go broad because all three of my questions, not saying okay. that my questions are more important than yours, but they're all nitty gritty. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll do, I'll do two broads to in my next two. And maybe we can just throw in a nitty gritty one at the end and just have some yeah. fun with it. Okay. Here's my question that I think requires a lot of what well, really has nothing to do with Jamie's camp. A lot of it has to do with, with looking at other camps and sort of how things develop. But we've talked all off season about September being super hard, like super hard, which it is. But is it? That's my question. Is September as hard as we think it is? So the, the, go ahead. Yeah. Well, so it's Bucknell easy. Then you have two road games against non-conference opponents at UVA, mm -hmm. which isn't really a road game. That's a 45 minute bus ride. 
um, which is essentially the bus ride they take when they were staying at hotels up in Stanton or whatever it was. Remember when Houston had <laughs> yes. them do that? I think they, I think they stay at Hotel Madison now. But yeah, that was funny. Essentially the same. Um, and then they go to Logan, Utah. That's a hike. But they 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 have gone out to Utah recently. Under Signetti, they did go out to Weber State and play in Ogden against Weber State in 2019. So was that 2019? Um, or 21? My, well, it was 21. 21. They played them at home in 19, I think, in the yep. playoffs. So you have that. Would you? It's not necessarily a completely new trip because you've you've gone out there before. And Utah State is just picked to finish eighth out of twelve in the Mountain West. The reason I think it is such a tough month isn't because of the non-conference games. It's because of the two conference games. You're on the road at Troy and then at home to finish out the month against South Alabama just seven days after you go out to Logan, Utah. Like, the the the, the conference games are so much more difficult. They are against West teams, but if you rack up two losses in those games, then – you're already kind of out of the Sun Belt running before the season even starts. And to me, that's why September is such a big month. If we go two and two and the two wins are against the non-conference teams and two losses are against the two Sun Belt West teams, that's not good. Now, if you go two and two with the two wins against conference, that's amazing. And to me, that's why September is such a tough month. But I mean, it doesn't get much easier than from there. October, you have Georgia Southern, Marshall, ODU. Uh, and then you finish the season out with App State and Coastal Carolina. So, I mean, it's not an easy schedule by any I think that's what sort of stands out the most to me there is like UVA is picked to finish last in the ACC. Like if you could pick one Power 5 team <laughs> that beating them would have meaning and also they're supposed to suck, like you'd pick UVA. And then they happen to be on the schedule. Utah State, not expected to be great. They've got some question marks. The conference games are going to be tough for sure. Like Troy and South Alabama, there's no doubt. Those are tough, but it's just like, I think like November is sneaky tough with Georgia state on the road. And then UConn sort of a little trap game before app state. We don't know what UConn will actually be, but then app state and coastal is a tough way to, to end the year, especially if you have motivation waning, depending on what happened in previous months. I think the whole schedule's reasonably tough, but I, I think that at times maybe we've overinflated just how much of a grind. And I think September's gonna be really hard, right? Cause they have three consecutive road games, well, and then you the, come back home. It'll be tough. The grind is going to Utah. That'll be like, tough. Like, and then there's, yeah, there's the, just not a lot of Utah games that you can do to get prepared. You know, like there's not a lot you can do to prepare for a road trip to Utah. It's tough. Like, I'm I'm not pretending it's not tough. I also think like they could get through it better than than maybe we've expected. I just think the fact that like Virginia and Utah State are not actually. That for, like I'd be, I don't know if they have a losing record at the end of September, factoring in the Bucknell game, I'd be kind of surprised. What is your expectation for the month of September? Because mine's three and one. Well, they got four and one. Four and one. I always <laughs> I, I I I put out the Bucknell game kidding. because <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we've pretty much thrown that out, so that makes sense. I I think they could go four and one too. I think that would make a lot of sense. And, and even if they do go, like if they do, I think for me, like, and maybe we'll get into this later in the off season, but like if they go seven and five or eight and four, I'm not viewing that as a bad season. Like, I think yeah. that would be okay. So then the way I look at it is like, if you go four and zero oh in non-conference, which I think is pretty doable, all you got to do is go four and four in league games. 
and you're you're eight and four, you could go three and five and still hit seven and five. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have like I think a lot of JMU fans expect them to be the kings of the East again. Yeah, I don't necessarily expect that. You know? I don't expect that, and I don't think that is how you should be rating if this is a successful season or not because what they did last year I think was an anomaly and we'll see kind of a regression to the mean here this year um where eight and four to me is a great year for year two of a transition to FBS yeah yeah I mean like that would that would be really solid and you could still have a really good team arguably maybe even a better team than last year and go eight and four I guess what what excites me the most is that I think that like the Virginia game is about as gettable as a power five game as you could possibly have. That's, that's where I think that if they start two and oh, you go into the Troy game and, and that's not like a, people keep, I think a lot of people, including myself have sort of chalked that up. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that could be a loss. Like that's probably a loss. The spread for that game is going to be so tight. Like, I like I, that's very winnable, even though yeah. it's like hard. Troy last year, let me look it up real quick. I should have had this ready. Troy was the 45th best team in the nation, according to EPA. JMU was 21st. What separated Troy from the rest of the pack in the Sunbelt West was timely offense and fantastic defense. But JMU was the better offense and the better defense when you're looking at it on expected points added on a per play and per game basis. And I don't think JMU is going to regress that much. And I don't think Troy is going to regress that much. I think they're going to be very similar teams. So, so, I mean, I think that's a gettable game. The tough part about it is on the road in a city you've never played in before. It'll be tough. I think it's, it's one that just gets me, uh, the more I look at September, the more I think they could, um, it'll be hard, but I think they could sort of battle their way to a really good record. I think it could be a like they've got the pieces if quarterback fills in the way they needed to to be special. That's what yes. I thought. Um, yeah. Question number two for me. I'm going to go to one of my extras because I prefer it over one of the ones I had already done. Yeah. Which defensive? This is a nitty gritty one. Which defensive lineman will step up and fill the void left by Isaac Ukwu and Jamari Edwards? Good question. So the guys I kind of laid out, Jalen Green, Mikel Kamara, Jamri Cromaw, and apologies mm-hmm. if I'm getting his name wrong. No, that's right. Okay. And Abi Nwabaku Akonji. Yep. So I think out of all of those guys, Kamara is probably the one, and we've talked at length about him, is the one poised to have that breakout year. Mm-hmm. Last year in just five games, he had 12 tackles, four and a half of them for loss, four sacks, and he forced a fumble. <laughs> If you extrapolated that out over 11 games, he had 26 tackles, 10 TFLs, nine sacks, two forced fumbles. He would have led the team in sacks and forced fumbles. His If he's healthy for a full season, his per-game stats are like above Ukwu. Like yes. he's he's very good. <laughs> and he, one of the games that he like played part of and got banged up was Louisville. Like, like he's very good. He's – I think he may be – the guy on the defensive line. If he, I think he can fill the void of both Ukwu and Edwards. There are a couple guys that you look at them and it's like, that's somebody I think a power five school is going to try to like tamper with. And, and he's, <laughs> he's one of the players that if he's healthy, his phone will be <laughs> like lighting up this off season. Um, yeah. I also didn't include Carpenter or Emmanuel Bush. Cause those are more of interior guys. And 
uh, they kind of play a different game of football than what your edge rushers do. But do you think there's anyone else outside of Kamara that like has the potential to make a big jump and kind of become, for all intents and purposes, the second best defensive edge rusher? I think Bush will have to hold his own in the middle to really help out with with some of the Edwards loss because he was pretty good when they stuck him in there with Carpenter, those two sort of inside, and they rotate some guys. So that'll be tough for sure. But the edge, I, I like pretty much everyone on the edge. I think Jalen Green is is the one who's really going to have the breakout where I've sort of dubbed him as like, yeah, that guy can really get after the passer. He has five sacks his whole JMU career. That's crazy looking at that number that it's it's that low. Yeah, and he I only think, had two and a half last year and only six TFLs. Because I think, yeah, he was just not getting maybe the same snap count. And, and certainly they can still rotate guys in this year. But apparently he had a huge spring and looked great. I mean, I think he could match last year's sack total by like week three. Like, I, th- I think he's going to have a really. He might match that sack total after Bucknell. Bucknell, <laughs> you have to give enough snaps. So I think I think he's due for a big year. And I think Kamara, those two are, are really going to step up for him. And then obviously the Bush uh, addition in the middle, he figures to play pretty well against the run. I've heard he has some decent um, heard. I think it's James Carpenter at media day. I don't have like sources. Um, heard he's, he's got a decent set of pass rush moves. So I'm, I'm amped to see the D line. I think they'll be good even without Ukwu. Yeah. Your next question. I will say one last point. Ukwu is really good. I was watching like some, some film the other day and there's plays where like his closing speed, when a guy like leaves the pocket to catch them was just he, absurd. He was really good. And I think you kind of discredit this at times, like in the run game, yeah. but like a backside type of guy, like to kind of give it to an NFL analogy, Max Crosby is really good as a backside run defender because he can get off his block and then chase down the running back if they're yes. running to the opposite side of the line. Ukwu added that as well. And that doesn't come up as tackles for losses most of the time. Right. Or like, of course they don't come up for sacks. Stupid point by me. But like, those are just a tackle. But the difference in tackling a guy two yards from the line of scrimmage or six yards from the line of scrimmage makes up for a huge, huge deficit throughout a game. And that's what Uku could do. Also generally fascinated to see uh, Nobaku Akonji and Chroma, who they've moved, I believe, to edge, and they're both 270 plus now. <laughs> like they've added a bunch of weight, and they're like, let's move them outside also. I feel like also every year we're talking about Nwabaku Akonji and we always stumble through his name, but we're always like, this is a guy that you got to watch out for. And I think mainly because he was a big 10 transfer in because he started his career. He's starting to look the part more last year, I would say. He's coming off of a career high in tackles and TFLs, and he's only gotten better each year. He was half a sack off of a career high in sacks. So like he's learning the system and he is growing. So I think there's strong chance that in his final year at JMU, actually, he may have one more year after this because he's only played three years at JMU and with COVID and a <laughs> sure COVID works, yeah. <laughs> he, could, he could be here for another year because we all didn't know Ukwu was coming back and then Ukwu came back and then he transferred. So who knows what's actually happening with eligibility, but he could finally have that breakout year and be kind of a really solid uh, kind of rotational in type of guy. 100%. All right. My last question is just a general program one and i'm interested to see how they handle it sort of the expectations during camp and early in the season it's probably the highest expectations i feel like they've ever had as a program and i know they've gone into years where it's like you should win the national championship at the fcs level but i think there's fans 
who legitimately think that JMU is like a top 15 caliber team. I could argue pretty strongly that they're wrong, but there's, (laughs) I think there's a growing expectation because they got ranked last year that they should like be a fringe top 25 team that they should contend for the Sunbelt East. And I think some of those are fair. Like some of the expectations of them, like being competitive in the East is fair and things like that. So how are they going to handle the fact that like, this is a much, it is a higher level of football. I know that they had a great year one, but like the schedule is much harder than playing like Delaware and Taos and all this stuff. It's a hard schedule. You have expectations. The opposing teams are like well aware that you're very good. It's not just like a, a thing where the coaches are aware and maybe the players occasionally sort of are, are not as fully engaged, especially early last season. They're playing a tough schedule against teams that are going to be amped to play them with fan expectations. Like that's a lot of pressure for the players and the coaches. So I'm fascinated to see how they kind of handle that and whether they sort of lean into that uh, in the off season leading to the season, or if they kind of downplay some of the, the outside noise. I also love how they just put the biggest bullseye on their back last year by saying that they were the kings of the East. East. And now every East team, specifically (laughs) App, Marshall, and Coastal, are like going to come guns a-blazing to them. Like that is just pure bulletin board material. Um, So yeah, that's a a great question. I'm I'm very interested to see. I think saying that this team should compete for Sunbelt East every year is a reasonable expectation. Yeah. Um, But I don't think the expectation should be that they're a fringe top 25 team on a year-in and year-out basis. I, the, the top teams in the Sunbelt East sometimes are top 25 teams, but like there's been years app wins the Sunbelt East and they're not ranked. Like it's not a foregone con- granted. The Sunbelt I think is stronger today than it was three years ago or four years ago. But at the same time, like just because you're one of the better teams in the Sunbelt doesn't automatically mean you're a top 25, top 15 team in the nation. Right. And Especially think- with, I think with to bring this back to conference realignment, mm-hmm. like with all of that happening, these Big Ten teams, these Big Twelve teams, these uh, SEC teams are playing arguably—I don't think you could really argue it—better competition on a week in and week out basis. So a team that might be you know six and three and JMU's nine and zero right. at six and three, like JMU fans are going to have kind of have to get used to a six and three team being the twenty fifth team, and JMU mm-hmm. might receive two votes. Like you kind of have to get ready for that yeah it's it's interesting for sure how how i think the fans that's a good question right how the fans are going to adjust and then for the the fan expectations the uh, internal expectations i think some of that too will be interesting on like an individual game basis where last year beat app state beat odu beat coastal the loss to Marshall, your quarterback didn't play, which gives you essentially a free pass. Like if you're the coaches, right? Like everyone's just like, well, if Centeno plays, we win that game, which like possibly true because they had some plenty of chances to. No, that's true. I think they would win without him, but like, or with him, sorry, obviously not without him, but it <laughs> would, would have been helpful to have him. They could have won that game for sure. But it's one where like your some of your bigger rivals, he took care of business. You've got ODU, App State, Coastal, and UVA this year. Like if you go seven, five and two and two in those, how did, how do you view it? How do players view it? How do fans view that? Right. What? So say they win all of their rivalry games. So Marshall win, app win, coastal win, ODU win. So that's four wins. And then a UVA win. Okay. 
but you finish with only those five wins, which is very unlikely <laughs> considering that you are beating like the upper echelon Sunbelt team. But say those are your only five wins. Is it Did a successful season? Did they clip Bucknell? Of course. Okay, sorry. Six okay, wins. So they, have, they go six and six with their six wins all over. <laughs> That'd be so funny. Um, I think they... I think in some ways you'd still view it positively, but you might need the the context of like where guys hurt. Like if you're fully healthy the whole year and you're like laying eggs in some games, you feel like you should win. I think fans would be kind of frustrated. And so would the uh, coaches and players probably. Yeah. But all right. I just wanted to know ready for my last question. Yes. All right. Do I go offense or defense? Let's see. Let's go. Uh, defense all right what type of growth are we going to see out of this secondary from last Mm. year to this year this is a secondary that if i'm not mistaken i looked at last year's too deep for the final game against coastal they only lost one guy and that was francis mihan mihan um so they were young and inexperienced it was a lot of transfers it was a lot of freshmen redshirt freshmen assuming they grow on their projected trajectory how good is this secondary going to be? I think they're going to be slight regression from the defensive line standpoint. Not a lot, but I think there's they were the second best defensive line according to EPA last year. And you're going to hear me mention expected points added a lot this season. It's one of my favorite stats to contextualize how good a unit is. Defensive line was fantastic last year which helped the secondary because the defensive mm-hmm. line was getting to a quarterback in like 2 seconds which really helps the secondary when you only have to defend and guard against a guy for two seconds. We saw when a team was able to give their quarterback a little bit more time, Georgia Southern, they got smoked. So with the defensive line regressing, meaning they're going to have to cover guys and maybe be um, exposed a little bit more, how will that trajectory go? I'm also really interested to see how Chauncey Logan, Devin Coles, and Brent Austin kind of play and see where they slot in. And I'm excited to see where Nakai Meredith, Antoine Booth, and Travell Mullen, all those transfers that have come in over the last few seasons, slot in as well because they haven't – specifically Meredith and um, Booth didn't necessarily make a lot of starts last year, if I'm not mistaken. And you got uh, you got D'Angelo Pons, the true freshman who had an interception based on a highlight video. I'm toying with the nickname for him, Deep End. Pons, water, like when you go one-on-one with him, you're in the deep end. Oh, I like it. Oh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so I need him to play so I can start trotting that out there officially. <laughs> but it's weird because like the corner corner room maybe feels more talented but younger. But then safety, they're like six deep with a bunch of old guys, a bunch of old heads. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, here's here's my question. Who would be your – of your safeties? So this, the six I think that are old are Q Reed. You have – Reminick, the Arkansas State transfer, Surratt, uh, Chuck Winnicki, Meehan. There's another one, though. Didn't Meehan graduate? Meehan's, Meehan's, Meehan's still here. Kid Wait. left, though. They lost Sam Kidd. How did, Meehan was a redshirt senior last year. Oh, my God. COVID Meehan. is messing with my perception. Yeah, Meehan's back. So put that put that in your notes. But who's the, uh, who's the other guy? I thought that was five. He said they liked six, so maybe there's another – Jamari Somerville, Jacob Thomas, DJ Barksdale. I just don't remember who. Maybe he's maybe he's he's got one in his mind that he was mentioning at media day that that I don't know. But anyway, 
they uh they've got at least five who are you like leaving out in that group and then apparently Devin Coles can also play safety something that he said maybe that's the sixth maybe he's six yeah who's who's my two safeties he I think they're going their plan will be like a four two five with three safeties and two corners okay so I guess my picks would be Surratt yeah um probably Meehan because he has that starting experience. Um, I'd either go Q Reed or Jarius Remenique. Yeah, and then Chuck Winnicky's good in the box and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, Chuck Winnicky's a really good. What what do they call him? The Rover. The Rover. I guess they use one of the safeties to technically like the Rover. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with those guys and how they keep them like engaged and rotated because that's one where like those spots you can legit go with like who's playing the best that week. Yeah, like they're so experienced that I think you could flip. Whereas corner, it's like they're probably better. Like, I don't think any of the safeties are going to play in the NFL, right? I think that's maybe a fair – like, at least they're not going to get drafted. That's really I wouldn't rude. think. That's really rude. I don't mean that offensively. I don't think any of them – like, they've been around for, like, five or six years. They're solid yes. players, but I don't know if they have, like, that NFL. Where, like, Chauncey Logan, pretty interesting guy with his size. You've got Mullen was, like, a four-star going to Indiana. Like, there's a ton of talent there, but they're yes. super young. Yeah. What a weird secondary. I'm so excited to see how the secondary evolves because they were, they were a, a liability at times last year. Right. That's the other thing too, right? It's like they got cooked against um, Georgia Southern and they and got then, cooked in like other games too, but the quarterback like against ODU, I think it was, there was a couple times mm-hmm. early on in that game that like the quarterback just couldn't connect on wide open receivers. In Georgia state, they gave up some like horrible busted coverages yes. when, in that game. So like and they can't some... tackle all the time, like on the second level. Like if a yeah. runner gets to the second level, it was just like bye. Because like the angles were all wrong. Like it was a very, very freshman secondary last year. That's what I'm so interested in with the old safeties. It's like, all right, like you've been around a long time. You've played pretty much everyone, even the transfers now in the scheme. Like you've got to go out there and and really compete for a, a spot in the in fall camp. So I'm excited to see what they do at safety and then corner. Yep. how they split up snaps with those young players because they've got options at, at every spot. Yeah. Uh, have you done all of your three-year questions? Yes. Okay, so you ready for some Twitter questions? Yeah, go. What will this year's thing to complain about be? That's a great question, right? Because they've, they've fixed sort of the in-stadium stuff, allegedly, right? We haven't actually seen it yet. They fixed it on paper. I, I may be complaining still about the hot cocoa lines. Uh-huh. Because that was a little like concession lines. They haven't done anything to fix concessions. They fixed beer. They did. They do. They did. Um. They've got grab and go now. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I wonder if that includes hot cocoa. That's a good, hot cocoa. That could be our complaint. So hot cocoa is <laughs> a a possibility. I think you can always dust off the oldie but goodie, which is student attendance and like not staying after <laughs> halftime. That's a fun one to just throw out there in October and be like, this team deserves. <laughs> 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 butts in the seats for four quarters so that's a fun one while i like don't go to the game myself one of my <laughs> that's always a good one so that's a possibility yeah we'll, we'll see we gotta wait for week one to see what the twitter sphere is saying and then we can yeah. get something and then um, on the field on the field like a close loss in a game that you want to win where like maybe they're a little bit too conservative on like fourth and shorts would be a super easy like coaching one yeah yeah, yeah. So we'll um, keep that one. Keep that one in the back pocket. Question 
Number two, I'm going to go to What Would You Pick for the new Team Walk-In song because it's no longer Can't Hold Us, uh, allegedly. Right. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think I should be in charge of picking this would be my, my answer, which um, is a bad answer. Anything but Can't Hold Us. Something that wasn't like popular in, what was it, 2012? And like, and like popular is like in quotes. Popular when I was in high school. Yeah, something a little more modern and i feel like if you get like player input that would probably end up being yes. a cool song and then the other the other option is like just play a hype video that doesn't then get followed by like macklemore you know what i mean like you don't have to have a song you could just play like the fight song and a hype video and i'd be check that checks a box for me yeah um the second part of that question are you okay with them never playing start wearing purple <laughs> at bridgeforth again hot take yes it started in the convo. I think it should stay in the convo. It's a weird song. I guess it should stay in the Atlantic Union Bank Center. Sorry. Right, right. It's a weird song. So I'm okay if they play it a little less. I know some people might love it. It's one that um, my brother has sort of mocked me relentlessly when it comes on. He's like, what is this? Like, <laughs> so like after games, he'll just be near me and be like, star wearing purple. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be okay, okay without it because it's, it's one that I don't think has 100% buy-in. It does from the MRDs, yes. but I don't think it does. I don't think from... it even does from the MRDs. Okay, there was an tough. MRD who responded to this question. I think Carson Polk. I'm not mistaken. I think he was a sousaphone. And Carson, if you're listening and I'm wrong, blast me on Twitter. But he, I think he even said it should only be in the convo or, or like be sparingly yeah. used. At I think football. that's fair. They, like, um... I'd rather hear um, Buffalo Mash, which is one of their stand tunes, one of their, their, their team, or get it on more. Yeah. Throw anything out there, you know? But, yeah, okay. Um, biggest strength that the Dukes have going into 2023, Tyler said running back is his personal pick. He's looking forward to seeing Kalon Black. Dude is an absolute monster and was a big factor in the App State game. He did say he seems to fly under the radar. Tyler, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. I don't think he flies under the radar. I think he's just hurt. Yeah, if he had like a full season of stats, I think he would get more recognition within yeah. Sunbelt fan bases. What's your pick here for biggest strength? I think the biggest strength is offensive line. All of the questions we just had, none of them were about the offensive line. This is a unit that returns, I think, 100% of the snaps from a year ago. Um, and they're really good, and they were really good last year. I think they were a big reason that Todd Santeo took that jump. I think they're a big reason each quarterback takes that jump underneath Kurt Signetti. Um, I think they are by far the best group. I enjoyed this from media day. There was some interview where Signetti mentioned that the starting five projected starting five has 118 combined starts. And then Nick Kidwell was talking to someone, um, got the number twisted in his head. And so they had 180. That's how confident this group feels <laughs> that they've had 180 combined starts, which over the five guys would be, that'd be like what? That's over 30. That's like 40 starts. That'd be like everyone has played and started for four consecutive, <laughs> which would be nuts. But anyway, 118 is a lot. I think Signetti said they have like their top eight from last year back. So they're deep there too. That seems like the biggest strength. Like they've got multiple guys that could be all conference players and they're deep. I don't think there are any offensive line question marks, which is huge. Biggest weakness. Biggest weakness. 
Can I say special teams as a group? Does that count? I'll take that. I would say that's kind of my biggest weakness last question still. I would agree with that, but I'm going to say secondary until they prove me wrong. I like that one as well. Um, All right. So those are all of the big questions. Did we forget any major questions that is looming over this training camp? (sighs) Just the one. Uh, Which one's that? Sorry. That one is one that I I feel like we've gotten some answers to here with a 17-second video posted by Jamie Football. Who's the starting quarterback, Bennett? Tell me. I'm still sticking with McLeod until uh, until sort of told otherwise, you know. But Barnett's delivery is quick and clean. He do <laughs> he does throw a tight spiral, dude. <laughs> that makes it tough when you see a tight spiral on Twitter. It's like, is and he Mc- the guy? McLeod, I know it was in slow mo, but man, McLeod's was- delivery looked a little slow. And the ball wasn't as tight; it had yeah, a slight wobble to it. Can I look a little bit too much into something? Yeah. So yesterday when Dave Rigert asked Kurt Signetti after day one of fall camp, the question was, talk a little bit about the quarterback battle. And Signetti said, Jordan McLeod ran with the ones today. And we'll we'll see and we'll know, we'll take it from there. Did not mention Barnett. Did not mention Griffin. Did not mention Billy Atkins. I'm I'm just saying he's saying it by not saying it. Jordan McLeod's the starter. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I uh, I posted the 17 second video of them throwing and and told someone to or told people to say who they thought would start and why. We had a couple good answers. We had um, Fortitude Fit SC say elbow sleeve, so it's McLeod because he has the elbow sleeve. <laughs> good. I like that logic. Brian McLaughlin. Said they should create a robo version combining the key traits of all of them, I which I actually that. like a lot. If they could start like doing robotic quarterbacks, they should ask JMU uh, Robotics to get on that. See if they could do that. We had a Rolling Stones reference in there, um, Barnett answer, and then uh, <laughs> the one that I like, Coach Clark had replied and said, uh, based on the clip, Signetti is as likely to start as anyone else. And I think to tweak that. The way they should name the starter is sort of like Harry Potter with the the sorting, the sorting hat, hat, where they put the big the big uh, Signetti <laughs> sun hat on each quarterback, and then like whatever just feels right, Signetti goes with with that guy. What was I going to say? There was another point I was going to make. Arm sleeve. Oh, this is a good one. Former JMU linebacker Diamante Tucker Dorsey yeah. did throw his two cents into the ring yeah, and true. said, 14 is my guy. That's that's Barnett. That's the youngster. You were confused because you did not know that their time overlapped. I did have to let you know that Alonzo Barnett came in the spring, so did spend at least a little bit of spring practice with Tucker Dorsey. They know each other, so that, yes. that explains That's that. the only reason there is he's saying that. He does not know any other quarterback. <laughs> he knows Billy Atkins. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to see the battle. I still, I just, it's hard for me to go against McLeod. You mentioned he went with the ones. We don't know if, you know, maybe that's already out of date. Maybe Barnett yeah. got the ones on uh, Thursday. But he also mentioned in media day the benefit of having experience. McLeod yes. has a ton of experience. It just seems like he's got the edge until we're specifically told otherwise. Yeah, I agree. Um, so this has been the Jamie Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. If you're in Harrisonburg, Charlottesville, Roanoke, uh, Virginia Beach, or Richmond, be sure to check out Three Notch. They're in all of those locations. You can head to Three Notch website to check out their fresh beer club to get fresh beer each and every month straight 
from the what are they called? Not the dis, not the distillery, the brewery, uh, straight from the brewery. <laughs> uh, and if you're in Harrisonburg or Weir's Cave, check out Christopher William Jewelers. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, see you next week. And we have a special guest coming on next week to talk more about this quarterback situation. For Bennett Conlin, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.